welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. My name is Micah, and uh, I am the lead pastor of this little community called Awaken, which I am so proud and pleased to say every week. Um, I want to begin this morning with a story that has nothing to do with my sermon. Can I do that? Okay. Actually, I, that's one of those things where it's like, you're not really asking for, my, for, for permission, but I'm just going to do it anyway. So, um, okay. So I have three kids, uh, three daughters, and evidently I was, I was told last night at dinner that um, <laughs> they were driving uh, near, near our house, and the youngest from the back seat totally randomly, uh, unsolicited, says, I'm sure glad you chose that man. <laughs> to which the, crowd, the, 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 the passengers in the car are like, what man do you speak of? You know, Micah, she says. <laughs> At which point they said, well, uh, so why do you say that? And Lyndon's response, and I quote, because we wouldn't have a church to go to or a beer brewery, and he wouldn't have anything to put in his sermons. <laughs> yes, that is true. Very true. Very true. Kids, aren't they wonderful? Um, so that's that story. Thank you for listening. Mark chapter 13, friends. We're in a series on Lent. Mark 13. I'll invite you to turn there if you are not there yet. And before we jump in, um, I've had a, a wild and crazy week. Uh, I have, uh, there, there are often, three times a year, uh, groups of covenant church planter trainings where we host these things, and uh, the, this one happens to be here in the Twin Cities, and so I've been invited to participate in that, which I love to be a part of, great group of people. These are all people who have been assessed in the church planting process and are now thinking about planting new churches in the, in the covenant around the, the country. And so uh, I have the privilege and honor to be a part of that. And I, I'm, I showed up on Wednesday, and I was reminded of a couple of things. I like being involved in these things for a number of reasons, but one of them is they help me remember. I have a terrible memory, uh, if you didn't know that, and I forget things often. But these people help me remember, and they help me remember a couple of things this week, and I wanted to s- start here this morning. They helped me remember how desperate and hungry we were when we first started. I don't know if any of you were around then, but I remember showing up on Sundays thinking, is anybody going to come back? You know, like, is this thing going to, are we going to make it or not? And we were just desperate and hungry for God to do something in our midst. And being with these people who have everything out in front of them and nothing real, like it's all just a dream in their hearts at this point, it's sort of like invigorating to be with them. They help me remember that. They also help me remember how absolutely critical it is to tenaciously defend what's in the center. And at Awaken, we talk about trying to create space for uh, a safe place for people to journey. We talk about wanting people to wake up to God's dream for the world. And, and we've talked about this idea of partnering with God in God's work in the world. So to just tenaciously defend that, because as you know, it's easy to drift, right? Over a long period of time, if you're off one degree, by the end of six years, you could be a long ways away from where you began. And how important it is to just keep coming back to that. This is why we do what we do. This is what we're about. This is who we are. And they remind me how dependent we were on the Holy Spirit. There are so many times when we would show up and we would, we would put all these things together. And then if God didn't breathe life into it, it's like these dead dry bones, if you know that story in Ezekiel. 
But when God breathes life into it, they just literally, they come alive and things happen and things grow and people are changed. And it was like, man, it's so good to be with these people because they remind me of these things. So let's not forget, right? Six years in, if you didn't know, a year ago, last week we moved into this building. We'll be six years old this summer. Let's not forget to remain desperate and hungry for God, to be leaning into and out like this way instead of sitting back and resting, right? It'd be nice to, it's easy to kind of sit back and say, oh man, this has been so much work and here we are in this building, so great, right? Can I get another Coke? Let's not do that. Let's keep, keep moving forward, keep leaning into what God's up to and let's continue to be tenacious about what's in the center, a safe space to journey with Jesus and the gospel and the resurrected life of Christ in the center. And then can we just, can we say out loud more often again and again that we need desperately for the Holy Spirit to breathe life into the things that we're doing and into our lives. Amen? Amen. Okay, that's the first sermon. Here's the second sermon. Stand, if you will, Mark chapter 13. <laughs> you guys, I don't know what it is about second hour. You got, got, we got to get some, some juice going to get you guys loosened up. Maybe we'll start offering another beverage at the back at the coffee bar. Uh, as Jesus was leaving the temple... One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they were about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Skip to verse 24. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know it's near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will, will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house. He puts his servants in charge. Each will, with their assigned task and tells one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he, suddenly, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Pray with me, if you will. God, as we uh, take a few moments in our busy lives and stop and open up your word, it's always my prayer that your Holy Spirit would visit us in very real and tangible ways that we would sense and hear, maybe even feel your presence, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would reveal to us who you are and who you've called us to be as your church and as people. 
So God, may we hear uh, this warning, this message from Jesus this morning in its context, uh, appropriately, and also for us today, whatever you might be saying. I pray in the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Now, friends, if I'm being honest, it's passages like this one that make people who don't read the Bible often or who have issues with the Bible say, that's what I'm talking about. That's crazy town. Amen? Anybody ever thought of that when they read passages like this? A passage like this from Mark chapter 13 has been sort of the beginnings and the foundations of some just kooky theology about how God will return or how the earth will, uh, how the, the world will end. Um, uh, s- some crazy things have come from passages like this. And people trying to predict things. Has anybody ever seen those predicting books where somebody tries to, you know, like predict when God's going to come back? You ever seen one of those? Newsflash, friends. Dumb idea. Jesus himself says, I don't know. Only the Father knows. So why on earth would you set out to write a book predicting when God will come back when Jesus himself says he doesn't know? That's a terrible idea. I'll say it, I'll say it to your face. If you're going to try that, don't do it. Okay? Just stop. 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 You give us a bad name. Um, so lots of crazy things have come from this passage. And if we're being honest, it's a tricky one to interpret. It's, it really is. Um, so what I want to do this morning is I want to try to go slowly, and I want to offer uh, a way to navigate through this text, and I hope that we can shed some light on what's going on. Uh, and I want to do it by asking a couple of questions. The first, questions is, the first question is, what are we reading? Um, what, like, how do you read this, or what is the nature of this book? This question is about the nature of the Bible, and specifically the passage we just read. Um, this is probably the most technical part, so put on your thinking caps for it, but we can't really ask the second question until we ask the first. What are we reading? What is this thing? Is it, what are the rules that you might uh, have to apply in order to read it to get what it's, what's being said? If you read Shakespeare, but you're reading it like a historical narrative, you're going to be off, right? There's particular genres of literature that exist in the Bible. You would do well to pay attention to the rules that govern them. So we'll start there. Then I want to ask a question about what's Jesus talking about. If we know this, then what's he saying, right, to the people who heard it first? And this is where we have to do hard work of, like, trying to understand in the, in the, through the years of a first century here, 2,000 years ago, right? That's a huge leap. So we'll do our best. And then lastly, what's it mean for us? We're here in 2016 in St. Paul, Minnesota. So what? Like, what does this mean for the church today? Because I begin with the assumption that the Bible is alive. This is not two-dimensional flatland, right? Rather, the Bible's alive. God chooses to reveal God's self through it. So I believe that there's something for us today from this passage, even though it's very contextual and specific to a group of first-century hearers. Now, Maybe you've been one of those people who've, who, who've come to the Bible and thought to yourself, I have no chance. Have you ever thought that before? Like, if it's that technical and it's that nuanced, then what possible chance do I have of getting it right? Anybody ever been there? I'm seeing nods, yes. Can I just say this out loud for a second? While this is true and the scriptures are hard to understand at times, yes, this is true. Also, What's true 
is that God reveals God's self through the text, through the scriptures. That's why these things have been so defended and cared for throughout all these generations. Because it just so happens that when people read it, God reveals himself to us. Many of us have had stories we could line you all up and you could tell them about moments when you read the Bible and you felt like you heard God's voice. That's possible, and it doesn't take a seminary degree to do that. It just takes getting into it and reading the story, okay? So I want to just preserve that possibility, that while sometimes it's technical, we got to do our homework, we should, and, and be learning, that it's also this really, really unbelievably inspired and, and, and beautiful book that God chooses to speak through. And so we would do well to continue to interact with it on a daily basis, in community and as individuals, all right? So I want to just say that first before we jump in, because I think sometimes we can feel like, woe is me, or what chance do I have? And I get it, I get it. But don't forget, this is, this is God's inspired, breathed words that he gives to us and continues to speak through, amen? Okay, so let's start this first one in the, in the words of my famous rabbi friend, Alan. Let's go. How do you read this? Let me see if I can illustrate this. Magnolia Lane, the dogwoods and the azaleas, they play on my mind like a song. Amen, Corner, Ray's Creek, the Eisenhower Tree, Hogan's Bridge, the Backside, the Golden Bear, 1986, the Charge, Freddy's free-flowing swing and the ball that should have fallen into Ray's Creek on 12. I mean, come on, Tiger's first major, epic. Phil's approach from the pine straw on 13. Bubba's hooked sand wedge from the trees on 10. Jordan Spieth, I mean, seriously, routes the field for his first major. Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? Raise your hands, okay? What am I talking about? And more specifically, the Masters, baby, the Masters. It's happening in a couple of weeks. Who's excited about that? Best golf tournament all year. Some people say that watching golf is boring. I strongly disagree with you. Thank you. Thank you, Kate Peterson. Especially the back nine on Sunday at the Masters. Now, why do, why do I do this illustration? I'll tell you why. If you don't understand the sort of subtext and all of the nuance, there is a lot of cryptic language in what I just said that if you don't know who the bear is, that's Jack Nicholas. He, he won, he's the oldest man to ever win a major in 1986. This epic sports story, you know, uh, if you don't know Tiger Woods, if you don't, if you don't know these things, you, have no, you don't know what I'm talking about. Right? It's coded language in some sense. And unless you have the code, it's hard to unlock what's happening. And I want to suggest that in Mark 13, we get a little bit of this. And this is why we have to do some homework and try to understand what's really being said here. How do you read this text? Because the Bible is written thousands of years ago in two different languages that we don't speak anymore, by people who held cultural assumptions that we don't have and use literary devices we don't use anymore. So it's no big deal to just walk up and read it. No, no, it's not hard at all. There is a major gap here, and sometimes we have to try to sort of uh, lessen that gap by learning some of the rules of the text. So how do you read it? I, I had a uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, my first job out of college, uh, I was a junior high youth pastor at Crossroads Church of Denver. And um, I thought, you know, I gather all these junior hires together, and I'm thinking, like, what are we going to teach these youngsters? Like, what do they need to know about the Bible? So I'm thinking, let's do Revelation. You know? 
I mean, why not? Tell, tell, find me a junior high youth pastor who's teaching Revelation. Exactly. Let's do this. You know, go big or go home. So I go and I, I, try, I do this series with these 11, 12, and 13-year-olds on the book of Revelation. Now, friends, looking back, I would submit this was a giant exercise in missing the point on many levels, okay? Um, when you deal with apocalyptic literature, which is the genre of Revelation, it's much more fluid and flowing than it is precise in, like, this equals that. That's not really what's happening with apocalyptic literature. But I had this huge map of Revelation. I would put it on the whiteboard every, every time we studied in Sunday morning. You know, like, here's how it begins, the church after this in chapter 3. After what? After church history. Then this is how the, the end of the world will come, and the rapture will happen, and the millennial kingdom, and the abomination that causes desolation, and the seven trumpets, and the seven this and that. The whole, I had it all mapped out for these kids. Like, it's not that hard, guys. That's what I told them. I'm like, it's not that hard to, it's not that hard to understand. Giant exercise in missing the point. Why? Because apocalyptic literature doesn't play by those rules, right? It's, it's sort of big sweeping ideas about like power and, and symbols and these kinds of things. And so I pray God have mercy on those children. <laughs> that they won't remember anything that I've said. What are we reading in Mark chapter 13? It's a gospel, yes. But what we get is a moment when Jesus taps into a tradition in Jewish history or Jewish literature called apocalypse, apocalyptic literature. And so when he starts quoting from Isaiah and Psalms and Daniel chapter 7 and 9, he's drawing on a tradition of apocalyptic literature that they would have been very, very familiar with. And there are symbols that mean certain things. So I just want to start here to say, when you come to the Bible, a good thing to start with or a good question to ask is, what am I reading? Is it a narrative? Is it, uh, is it some sort of history of something? Is it, a wisdom, is it wisdom literature, a psalm, a proverb, song of songs? Is it a prophet? Uh, is it an epistle? Is it a gospel? What am I reading? And from there you can begin to sort of start dissecting what's happening. All right. So that's the first thing. That's a really good thing that anybody who wants to read the Bible more, that's a good question to ask. What am I reading? This is... So this is a gospel, but what we get in 13 is apocalyptic stuff, all right? So what's Jesus talking about then? This whole chapter you could break up into two categories. And he's talking about two separate events that do not connect to each other, really. He says these things about a number of things. And if you were going to go through this chapter and read it again, I would encourage you to sort of put all, of, all the things in one category that begin with these things. And then there's another caddy of, a category of those days. Right? So these things he starts with, um, watch out, no one deceives you, many will come in my name, I am he, I will deceive, uh, and will deceive many. Um, do, not, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on top of each other. He's talking about these things, right? And these things are specifically related to a historical event that happened in A.D. 70. And it was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Right? If you know ancient history, you know that the Romans are in power. And there was this last revolt by this family, the, Jew, the Maccabees in, Jude, in, in Jewish uh, uh, history. And they sort of hold themselves up at Masada, which is still there to date. It's built by Herod, this giant fortress. And the last stand of the Jews before the Romans just crushed them and then went into the city and destroyed the temple. Jesus says not one stone will be left on top of another. So these things 
are, it's the impending judgment that's coming at the hands of the Romans. These things, they're imminent, they're like near, and they're coming very soon to Israel. This is why Jesus says in a verse that we didn't read in the middle there, how dreadful it will be for nursing mothers and pray that it doesn't happen in winter. Proud to say that we would have been just fine had it happened to us. Winter, no big deal. We got it, totally, right? But Jesus says, pray that these things don't happen to to nursing mothers, how horrible it would be. And he says, these things will happen before this generation. This generation will see these things come to pass. So these things are one category of things he's talking about in Mark 13. Now, those days is another category of things he's talking about. Those days are different than these things. And he goes back and forth between them, which is why it gets kind of confusing. But if you map it out, you begin to see what Jesus is speaking about when he's saying those days is he's tapping into this tradition of apocalypse in ancient, uh, is in, in ancient Jewish literature. And he's using Psalms, he's using Isaiah, he's using Daniel, and he talks about the Son of Man who will be vindicated. That's Daniel 7. He says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Wouldn't that be a great book? No! It's a terrible book! If you haven't read any of those books, they're out there. People, you know, like, this is how it's all going to end. That's not the point. This is apocalyptic. It's symbolic of what's going to happen. It's not literally. I don't think it's literally. I don't think the sun is going to get dark and the moon's going to turn red and the skies are going to fall from the sky. I don't think that's actually going to happen. So if you were wondering about that and you're like, oh my gosh, that's going to be wild, rest assured. At least from my perspective, we're good on that one. He says at that time, the Son of Man will come. Those days, right? This final section that we read, the day and the hour, Jesus speaks about it. The day and the hour, the Father only knows. This is about the return of the King, Jesus, who has a rightful claim to the world. This is what resurrection ensures, right? What's Jesus talking about? On the one hand, these things, the imminent destruction of Israel, and on the other, this date that is still out in front of even us. When Jesus will return and usher in a kingdom that his death and resurrection ensure in full. So, the million dollar question for us, if this is what we're reading, and this is what Jesus was talking about, the destruction of the temple, and then this date, at a, a later date at which the king would return and claim that which is his, what does it mean for you and me? Why does Jesus give these warnings? You should stay at watch. You should be alert. Don't fall asleep. Be ready when it happens. What does this mean for you and me? Good news on the one hand, friends. The one event, it's already happened. Nursing moms, you're going to be fine, right? This is AD 70. The temple's been destroyed. All is well. But this other one, those days, we would do well to listen to what Jesus is saying here. Now, I recognize that I am treading on very thin ice for some of us in the room. Because sometimes these passages get used in really, really blunt and obtuse ways where people talk about judgment and guilt and and try to shame people into like, you better be ready if you're not ready when he comes back. I don't want to do that. That's not the spirit in which I want to preach and teach this passage. And yet, there is something that we should be heeding and listening to. This is a warning that Jesus gives. Why? Why? Because the Bible teaches, the scripture says that 
Jesus was crucified and resurrected and, is, and ascended and is coming back at some point. Now, will Jesus literally ride down on the clouds, out of the clouds with horses and chariots with a sword coming out of his mouth? Like, no, I don't think that's the way it's going to happen. I don't actually know how it's going to happen. I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm really anxious to see how that all plays out. What I do know and what I think the scriptures is dead set clear on is that Jesus has rightfully claimed the world as his. He has beaten death, beaten evil, literally put death in its grave, come on now, and is coming back to, to institute a world and a reign, if you don't like that word, uh, a, a supervision of the world that only what only exists is peace and shalom and flourishing for all, love and mercy and justice flowing like rivers. That's normal, not the exception. That's the kingdom of God. That's what's coming. And so what Jesus is saying is, be ready for that when it comes. Don't be caught flat-footed. Don't be caught sleeping. What's the warning here? For us as a church, for us as the people, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I would consider myself part of the people of God, the warning is, don't do what Israel did. I'm here. The prophets came. Why? Because this group of people was supposed to be a certain kind of person in the world. They're supposed to be a certain kind of community in the world. One that demonstrated what it looked like to be in right relationship with each other, the world we lived in, and the God who made it all. That was the purpose of Israel. Jesus' warning to the people is don't be like them, but rather, when Jesus comes back, when the kingdom is ushered in, it, in its in entirety, be found faithful Doing what? The kinds of things that Jesus' people do. Being people who are found working for reconciliation. Amen? Paul says that God is working to reconcile us to him, that we would be reconciled to God, and that we would be reconciled to one another. How many different divisions do we find between humanity day in and day out? The people of God ought to be working to, to, to sort of uh, lay those things flat and that we would be reconciled to one another. So be found being people of reconciliation. Jesus says that the people of God are peacemakers. Be found working for peace in your own family, in your own home, in your workplaces, in our country. We should be peacemakers. We should be people who are the first to forgive the people who offer grace and mercy, even when someone doesn't deserve it, be found doing those things because that's what the people of God are supposed to be doing and that's what this thing is about. So Jesus says, when I come back, be found faithful doing those things. Don't be asleep. Don't be resting. Don't be laying in your pews asking for another Coke. Come on, people. Be found actively participating in the kingdom because it's here and it's now. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. For us as individuals, I think there's a warning here. There's an invitation. And the invitation is, Jesus rises from the grave and says, any and all, the door is not too small. Come and follow me. This way of life, this kind of person, this way of being human in the world, follow me because this way leads to life. And when I come back in full, and this thing happens in its entirety, you will see clearly. Don't wait. Participate in it now. The, the music of the kingdom is playing right now. There is a new world bursting forth right here in the midst of this one. The question is, can you see it and can you hear it? That's the invitation. 
so what rhythm do you live your life by? What governs the choices that you make? What is the highest authority for you? We all have something that is a compass that we live by. Jesus is just saying, let my life be the compass. Follow me. And gang, at the end of the day, it's either true or it's not. Right? I mean, that some of us say, I don't believe it. Hogwash. Okay. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Come back again next week. Either it's true or it's not. And I think if it's true, if Jesus was who he said he was, holy buckets. The implications are huge for us. So as we move towards a time of reflection and silence, I want to invite you to really, really think. And maybe this is hitting you on one level or another. Maybe it's hitting you as a community. What does it mean for Awaken as this little microcosm of the large community of the people of God in the world? What does it mean for us to be found faithful, doing the work of God in the world? Moving into, pressing into, moving towards, leaning into, saying yes to the Spirit's leading. What does that mean for us? I think it means that there's going to be more and more hurting people around us. It means that we're going to have to be serving and giving ourselves away more and more and more. It means, I hope, that the money runs out because it's being spent on mission. And that we, begin, we, we, we continue to live by faith that God has called us to do this thing, and so we just keep taking one step after another. That's what I hope it means for us. So how do you participate in that? What's your role? Maybe for you as an individual, this is, a, this, is a, this is a crossroads kind of day. I stand at the crossroads and watch. You've been wandering around this Jesus thing for a while. You've been thinking about it. Maybe you were dragged here by a friend. They really actually do love you, I promise. Maybe you're not sure about that, but I, I really believe that. And so what does it mean for you? Jesus invites us to follow and says, be found faithful, be found living this kind of life. What say you? What say you? I'm going to offer a word of prayer and then a time of silence. And we'll move into a time of response. And we do this weekly because I believe that God says things independent of me or anything that we've planned. And so we always want to create space for that. And so in this time of silence, I want to invite you to consider those two questions. Either on a community level, what does it mean for you to be found faithful with us as Awaken? a part of the big C community people of God. What does it mean for us to be found faithful? Or maybe as an individual. Is Jesus who he said he was? And if he is, what does that mean? Start following. Start participating in the life of the people of God. So, let me offer a word of prayer. God, as we gather this morning, as we think about what it means to follow you, as we hear these words, this warning about what it means to be the people of God, I pray that we would be found faithful, that we would be found leaning into, saying yes to the Spirit's work among us. Help us to see it, God. Take the blinders off. Tear down the walls. Break open the hard hearts so that we might say yes to you. And for those who are circling around this idea of following you, God, I pray that they would know that they are loved, 
that they belong, that you are who you said you are, and that your face, the face of love and sacrifice, is the face of God. Oh, so good to be with you. You stand for a benediction as we close. I was reminded this morning that uh, our good friend, Mr. John Mark, is heading out for a few months on a tour. So um, I'd love for you to join me in a blessing over John as he goes. Um, So pray with me if you would. God, thank you for the gift of our brother. Um, I pray your blessing on his time, uh, that as he goes, uh, he would continue to do the things that you have put inside of him, that they would well up like a spring of living water, that they would pour out for people um, to see and experience. We pray for safety as they travel. Uh, God, I pray for uh, the voice uh, that will be heard and that it would be one that is filled with love and grace and compassion. So we thank you for him. We bless him as he goes. And I want to bless you all as uh, as you go today, this is a prayer from the book of John, chapter 17. Jesus prays to the Father, and it's all about his hopes and dreams for the church and what it might look like. And so I want to just pray this over you this morning. He says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. May you go reflecting the grace of God, the light of God, the love of God into a world that desperately needs it. Grace and peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Love you guys. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awaken community or on twitter awaken community see you next time